so we asked some really pointed questions to see how they would respond about how they define their work-life balance and how it all makes sense. Um, because we didn't want to go in there with the CRM lens and say, we know your business is probably a certain size and it has a certain structure because that's not going to work for them. Um, and we also wanted to listen specifically to how they were addressing their problems and how they were talking about their problems. Because the way that they'll search on Google one day for a product like this is how we should be wording our product from the very beginning so that we're actually capturing the right ICP that we want. Welcome to the Product Marketing Life podcast, brought to you by the Product Marketing Alliance and hosted by me, Mark Cassini, Product Marketing Manager at Jobber. Every two weeks, I pull insights from some of the world's most talented product marketers to uncover the secret sauce of successful product marketing. In this episode, I'm joined by Jessica Andrews, VP Marketing at Copper. Jessica recently took on this new role after spending the bulk of her career dedicated to product marketing. In fact, she credits her time in product marketing as one of the primary reasons she was able to take on the leadership position she currently holds. Today, Jessica and the team at Copper offer the only Google-recommended CRM that helps teams build better relationships to drive lasting revenue. During our chat, Jessica shares how she and a group of individuals at Copper brought their newest product, Windy, to market. She explains how ICP research helped to drive the decision to launch a new product, and how she and the team navigated entering a new customer segment with a new product. All right, with that out of the way, let's dive in. Hey, Jessica, how's it going? Great, how's it going with you? Great, super excited to have you here today. Very excited to be here. Excellent, well, let's get right into it then. Can you walk our listeners through your career so far and what you and the team do at Copper? Yeah, for sure, it's been quite an interesting journey. So we'll go all the way back to when I graduated from my master's. I ended up joining a small startup called Slim Cut Media, and this was about 10 years ago, and they were in the ad tech space. And I was hired as employee number one at a tiny company. And so that was really a, a very interesting role because I was brought in to do some account management, some marketing, some PR, some basically everything that you can think of. And um, a lot of my time and my interest was on creating positioning and messaging decks that would be used by the sales team when they came in. Um, so it was really an interesting role. And then I was reading the book Chaos Monkeys. And for the first time, the definition of a product marketing manager was given to me. And I said, wait a minute, that's what I do. I want to have that as a full-time role. Um, and I had heard of a product manager and that was also described, but it was really product marketing manager for the first time I realized that that was a real job that I could have. Um, and so I did a lot more research on it. And when SlimCut was acquired in 2018, um, I was able to move into a full-time role as a product marketing manager at the new company, which was great. So I stayed there for about a year, and then I moved on to Cision, which is a leader in PR and marketing technology, um, and was um, kind of responsible for the Canadian market to start, and then moved into the media monitoring uh, product line um, globally. Um, and then after that, I was hired at Copper. And so I joined as a senior product marketing manager, was doing that for about a year, and then ended up getting promoted into the VP marketing role, which is where I am today. Well, firstly, congratulations on the promotion. I remember seeing that on LinkedIn come through a Thank little you. while ago. So it's obviously a very exciting moment to, to kind of get the level up to a, to a uh, you know, that level. So congratulations yes. there. Uh, funny enough, I think you're the first guest I've had on the show who mentioned seeing it for the first time in a book, the title of product marketing yeah. manager. That's a first. So um, thanks for sharing that story. I'm curious, you mentioned the company that you initially started working in product marketing for was acquired. 
When that acquisition took place, did the nature of the role change at all? Did the acquiring company already have a product marketing function in place? Or did you effectively come in and establish it from the ground up like you did before the company was acquired? Yeah, so they they had a product marketing function. So they had a, I believe, a senior director or a VP, and they also had another product marketing manager. So I was able to kind of fit right in because the the company that acquired us acquired us one for the Canadian arm because they hadn't had any Canadian employees. And so they wanted someone with a Canadian focus, but also they needed someone to take the product that we were developing and sell it to the US market and introduce it. And so that's really what the extent of my role was, was to introduce the slim cut product to the rest of the world, but also introduce Tolaria, the company that acquired us, their products to the Canadian market. So it was a really good fit um, for the time. And it was really good to have that kind of bridge between the old company and the new um, while learning from seasoned product marketers. Very cool. And, and what would you say was the biggest adjustment or change in going from you know, the lone wolf product marketer, having ownership of the entire role and function into becoming a member of a larger team uh, at a new company. What, what was that like for you? It was very, very interesting because I had spent most of my um, adult career as a solo marketer, solo everything, Swiss army knife, I would say. And so it was, it was quite the adjustment to go from being somebody who does a little bit of everything to someone who specialized, but it was something I was, I was desperately looking for was to start to specialize in, in my role rather than doing a little bit of everything. So um, it was a bit of an adjustment, but I was happy to be focusing on the things that I was focusing on, which was marketing in general rather than everything. Yeah, it's nice when you can join a team and feel like some of the things that you were doing all on your own can now be taken over by another team that already exists or just other individuals like, uh, on the existing team that you're joining. Uh, I went through a similar transition myself and going from voices to jobber and just found, oh, hey, I don't have to worry about updating support articles anymore. We have a very dedicated <laughs> person for that. I don't have to worry about you know, coming up with creative or, or content. And we have teams dedicated to that. So uh, for anybody who's curious about what that jump looks like, that's definitely, as you said, a big, a big benefit of making that transition. Yeah, for sure. And what's interesting is that I wouldn't say that I'm not doing design or not doing content. I still have to write and I still have to be able to articulate what it is that I want a piece of material to look like. And working with designers, they actually prefer that versus someone who maybe went through, it's been in a larger organization their entire career. It, they just are like, well, can't you tell me what you're looking for? Like what you think it should look like? No, it doesn't work like that. So the I can create something that looks pretty good and then a designer can go in and make it look really good. And it helps when I'm able to explain what I'm looking for to them. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost like you have that shared language to a degree. They're the experts and they know all the ins and outs and the technical nature of design. But if you've done it as some part of your career, even if it's, you know, to the best of your ability, you, you have that shared understanding, which makes things a lot easier, as you said. Exactly. Awesome. Well, you know, we mentioned earlier promotion again, congrats on that. But I'm curious, what has been the biggest shift in your day to day? And what tools did you develop as a senior PMM that you have found to be the most translatable or helpful in your current role as VP marketing? Yeah, it was interesting because just a little bit of backstory, our CMO um, at the time was actually asked to become the CEO um, late last year. And so when she moved up, I and she had asked me if I wanted to be VP marketing, which was really exciting. Um, but I'll be totally honest, I was scared because going from a senior manager level to a VP is quite interesting and different. So I was a little bit afraid that I wouldn't be able to kind of figure it out, but I have. And it's been an amazing 
a um, couple of months. And I really learned the most in these last few months than I have in my entire career, which is amazing. It's kind of a sink or swim philosophy. And I'm, I think I'm swimming, which is great. Um, but what I didn't realize is that although my time is taken up by demand gen and content and design and a lot broader of a focus, what I didn't realize is how important product marketing is to an executive's role. I think the future of product marketing is definitely the executive suite and vice versa. I do think that being able to understand who your customers are, what they're looking for, and what resonates with them is the glue that sticks demand gen content and everyone else together as a, as a leader. And if you don't have that focus, and if you're only focused on demand for your entire career, you're going to be missing that. So I think there's a huge opportunity in the next 10 years for product marketers to step up and be the leaders of the entire marketing org. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're you're spot on there. I, I know I've seen that articulated by other product marketers in the space and across the broader product marketing alliance. It does really feel that, you know, the next generation of CMOs will have some level of product marketing experience in their career, if not direct ownership of the role, exposure mm -hmm. to it in a very close way for all the reasons you just said, right? I think it's great if you can come into a senior position having a depth of knowledge in demand gen or content generation or the other various aspects of, of, of the marketing function. But nothing replaces that deep understanding of the customer, their problems, how your solution addresses those problems. Uh, there's also the element of the broader kind of landscape competitively that being a product marketer exposes you to. So I, I think you're right. You know, um, for anybody who may find themselves in your position or, or where you find yourself positioned several months ago, thinking about, well, I'm ready for, am I ready for take the next step and and pursue those CMO or VP marketing um, level opportunities? I think if you've if you've got the product marketing chops, you're probably a good percentage of the way there. Yeah, exactly. And I would say that you you should never be afraid to take these kind of crazy opportunities, even if it doesn't seem like you were prepared for, let's say, a VP title in the next 10 years. I was expecting it was a longer journey. But at the same time, I think deep down, I was ready to take on more responsibility beyond just product marketing. And it's, it's product marketing and how it's executed. Um, before, I would kind of hand off a lot of the materials to other teams to execute on. And now I'm able to see it from the beginning to the end, which is really interesting for me. I can imagine. And, and you know, you also mentioned that the previous uh, individual in the role has since moved on to the CEO role. I would imagine that makes that relationship and dynamic between the CEO position and the marketing function that much closer. Um, I'm curious what that dynamic looks like. Do you find that your CEO is almost like a marketing first CEO? Have they been challenged to kind of think more holistically across the org? What and, and how often is, is she leaning on you for guidance, um, you know, at the CEO level decision making um, area? Yeah, for sure. So Carrie is our, is our CEO, Carrie Shaw, and she has been in marketing um, as a focus for probably the last 10 years, at least. She was in product management before, which is really interesting. So she has a really great ex um, experience. And I think what I love about this the most is that she is marketing focused. So she understands the work that I'm doing. She understands the challenges that come along with it, which not every CEO would understand for a CMO or a VP marketing. Um, and so she's been a great resource and mentor as I go through this transition. And I don't think it would have been possible without someone who really understands the marketing org and is guiding the new person through it. So I think that's been really helpful. Um, and it also goes to show you that the CMO is not the top role anymore for marketers, that you can go all the way to the top and succeed. And she has been succeeding. And it's it's really great to see how marketing first the org can be. So that's been really great to see. 
Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I, you know, like I said, I would imagine having that relationship, not just at a at a personal level, but that her having her background of experience, you know, being so marketing focused just makes that, you know, that relationship that much tighter. So let's just transition ever so slightly into our main topic of conversation today. And really why I'm excited to have you on the show. You mentioned in the build-up to our conversation that the team at Copper recently launched a new product, Windy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious, what was the genesis of the idea behind Windy and what role did product marketing play early on in deciding to bring it to life? Yeah, so this uh, this product kind of predates my time at Copper. So this has been something we've been thinking about for a long time. And at Copper, whenever we have a customer who just, it doesn't really work out for them when they try the CRM in a trial or they do a demo and they realize this is a little bit too much for me, we we call that loss reason uh, not ready for CRM. And so it's become this kind of big bucket of things where we say this person wants to keep using their spreadsheet. This person doesn't see the difference between a CRM and Google contacts. And it's just kind of a catch-all where we're just like, yeah, they're not really ready for us. And that was where we wanted to start was what is the the in-between between a spreadsheet and a CRM? How do you get from a spreadsheet to a CRM? And like, who are the people that tend to stick there and, and don't really move? And so what we did was we we started off with like very, very like small prototypes. And we started to reach out to these not ready for CRM individuals and ask them to try um, our new beta product. And at the time, it didn't have a name. Um, and so what we kind of learned is that there is still a space between spreadsheets and a CRM, but it's not the people we thought. We thought that these people would use this product and then eventually graduate into a real CRM. And that's not the case at all. It's actually, I think, biased of us to say that they're not ready for a CRM. It's really that the CRM isn't ready for them. They don't have these structures in their company like we're used to in the CRM industry where you have a sales team, they have opportunities, they have to close them, they have to forecast. These are the usual CRM jargon that gets them tripped up because they don't need that. What they really need is to manage their relationships remember to talk to people all the time, but they don't necessarily see a value at the end of it. It's not something they're using to keep track of sales. Um, They tend to be these kind of multi-hyphenates. They have a side gig. They have a a startup in one side, and they're also working for a larger company and then maybe trying to do something else or selling on Etsy on the side. So they've got multiple inboxes and they want to be able to manage the people that flow between them. And There was just so much more that we learned during the research phase about who is not ready for a CRM that they, it's true that we weren't ready for them. So the product has since kind of evolved a little bit where we still see the the in-between of spreadsheets and CRM, but it's really what is the future of CRM is what we kind of learned. Yeah, I find that so interesting for a variety of reasons. Obviously the CRM space, as as you know, firsthand is a very crowded one. It's a very dynamic one. And we'll dig a bit deeper into the ICP research you and the team conducted to get some of the insights that you just referenced. But before we do, I'm curious, at what point during the development of the product did you and the team decide, hey, actually, this isn't the right, the way to think about it isn't necessarily as an on-ramp to copper. And this shouldn't just be a net new piece of functionality within the broader copper product. This needs to be its own, its own solution, its own standalone product. Did that insight or decision come early on in the process going into even the research phase, or did that come out through conversations with customers through beta testing? I'm curious, what was the moment in time where that decision was made? If you were part of that conversation or, you know, if it happened before that's perfectly okay as well. 
Yeah, I don't think it, I don't think there was actually a moment in time where that was decided. I think it was kind of evolved over time. Um, though we haven't really made a decision on that either. We we also recognized that what we've built on the product today, which is multiple inboxes and managing a to-do list and a follow-up, there is potentially a world in the near future where Copper and, and Windy stand side by side and they're used for different purposes or they're part of the same product. Um, but we wanted to keep the two brands separate because we'll talk about in a minute, the way that we talk to Windy customers is very different than the way we talk to Copper customers. But that's not to say that we've decided forever that they're separate. Um, but we do know that it's not going to be 100% a ramp from Windy to Copper. Um, and that's okay with us. All right. Now I'm I'm really intrigued. And let's, let's just dive right, right into that ICP research topic then. Can you expand on what that ICP research looked like for Windy and share any learnings that you would apply to future ICP research down the line, either for existing products or new ones? Yes, for sure. So it was a very long process where we were regularly talking to customers that, one, were not ready for a CRM or how we deemed them. And we actually went into more research on what, what tools are you missing in your, your day-to-day? How does your business function? Um, is your company like really static or does it is it flexible? Do you have multiple businesses that you're trying to manage your time on? And so we asked some really pointed questions to see how they would respond about how they define their work-life balance and how it all makes sense. Um, because we didn't want to go in there with the CRM lens and say, we know your business is probably a certain size and it has a certain structure because that's not going to work for them. Um, And we also wanted to listen specifically to how they were addressing their problems and how they were talking about their problems, because the way that they'll search on Google one day for a product like this is how we should be wording our product from the very beginning so that we're actually capturing the right ICP that we want. So beyond that, after we did a couple of interviews with our own previous copper trialers, we went and we started looking for people we knew they were similar to them. And so we were able to find some like real estate folks that have multiple side businesses, um, a couple people from the Silicon Valley area that have a startup and work for a big company and do something else. And we started to hear the same kind of messaging over and over again of what this product could do. So um, that is to say that it wasn't as structured as I'm used to doing for ICP research, but it was kind of good because we were able to adjust ourselves as we go and ask the questions that brought up by previous um, by previous interviews. And for those trialers who didn't ultimately convert because they weren't ready, were you able to ask them what solution are you using now? And and did that help influence the direction at all? Did you find that they were using alternative solutions that were kind of outside the consideration set of what you had imagined, you know, a solution like Windy or even your existing solution, Copper, um, you know, was being compared against? I'm curious what the kind of comparison or alternative solution space looks like during those conversations? Yeah, for sure. So a lot of them went back to a spreadsheet. So they were using a spreadsheet. They were told to use a CRM and then attempted and it didn't work. There were a few people who we do ask if they're using an alternative CRM when it doesn't work out for copper. And there were a few people who said they weren't ready for CRM and then actually chose another. And so we tried to avoid those people because we know that they were ready for a traditional CRM. Um, but other than that, it's mostly people that just go back to status quo, which is do nothing. So that is, I think the number one loss reason in, in SAS, regardless of what industry you're in, but, um, in CRM, we keep thinking that CRM, you have to have one, but in a lot of cases, people just don't feel the need to have that much structure. And I think that also just touches on such a, uh, an impactful insight 
and and I'm not sure if this came up organically in doing the research, but I think to your point of doing nothing or the status quo is often kind of the default or the most common reason for not selecting a solution. I think a lot of product marketers or product professionals or even CEOs might look at that and think, oh, well, those customers just aren't for us. They're just not in our target market. And it sounds like the team uh, that you were working with instead took the perspective of, okay, they're not ready for copper, but they still need something. There's still obviously a, an opportunity here, and you pushed and you you know dug deeper and you ultimately uncovered that opportunity in the form of Windy. So I guess what I'm trying to say is you know for individuals who find themselves you know reviewing loss reasons and constantly being faced with the internal you know thought or belief that oh well status quo is our biggest competitor and those customers are ones that will likely never convince or oh you know they're just ones that are not worth our time. Instead, the framing should almost be, okay, well, if they're not ready for us, like why? Is it because there's just not an adequate solution in the market today to meet those specific needs? And could we fill that need by launching a new product, much like you guys did, or evolving our existing one to meet those needs better? Um, yeah, so I just wanted to kind of dig on that a little bit deeper, because I think product marketers often find themselves in that situation of just being resigned to the fact of, hey, the status quo is always going to be our biggest competitor, and there's not much we can do about that. Yeah, I think that you bring up a very good point. And there's there's a couple of avenues to it. There's one, which is that they keep with the status quo. And my first question to a product marketer would be, is there anything within your control that you can do? Should we be testing out messaging on the website to try and, my favorite thing to do anyway, is to go on Gong and listen to conversations where the lost reason was not ready or status quo and hear what they have to say. Are there missing features that we do have that you can reposition in the way that they're talking about it? Um, is there certain industries that seem to say this more often? Should we be avoiding them from a demand gen perspective? Um, there's these questions that you can ask and the product marketer could do some work to try and alleviate that. But then you're gonna reach the ceiling of, okay, we don't have this functionality. We will, we won't have this functionality. And that's when product comes in and working closely with product so that they understand what the gap is, so that they could potentially create features that would address the need. But then you reach another ceiling, which is where Windy comes in, which is copper could not be degraded down. I, I say degraded, it's not the right word, but it's, you can't, you can't take the traditional CRM model out of copper because then the rest of our working ICP wouldn't have what they need, then it should you introduce a new product. And that's when Wendy obviously started to, to take shape. So um, it was it's very interesting kind of process, but it's always good to start with, is it a messaging problem or is it a product problem? And start with messaging because that's something within marketing marketing's control. Yeah, and, and to your last comment there, it's almost like the fundamentals of, of product market fit, right? Do you, mm -hmm. Do you, to your point, reduce your existing product that has good product market fit to a point where, sure, you've achieved product market fit with this new, you know, market, but you've totally eroded that fit for your existing one where you're winning, or do you try and win with both markets and then you've got a product that doesn't really fit well with either? And instead, the decision which it sounds like Copper made or the team at Copper made wisely was to launch Windy and, and generate a new product for this new market because there really wasn't much overlap between the two. Um, yeah, and you yeah. know the, the the common phrase within product marketing or marketing in general is you know you can't be all things to all people, and it sounds like your team was very, very uh, what's the word very uh, intentional about the market they were go you were going after and the solutions you're trying to solve for, and just recognize hey the existing product is just not going to meet those needs, so we need to develop something different.
Yeah, for sure. And and it's not to say that Windy is going to be replacing the revenue that Copper as a company needs to to exist in. And one thing I'll mention about Windy that's unlike Copper is that there is going to be a free tier for individuals. So most people that are going to sign up for Windy are going to be individuals and it's going to be a free tier, which is great because that's how you, that's the whole product-led growth strategy. It works. Copper doesn't do that because for CRM, you need teams to do it. So that's why we don't have a free tier. Um, but it's also interesting to say that we're kind of future-proofing ourselves where I truly believe that businesses are changing right now to the point where a traditional large company will still exist. But there's a lot of people who are rejecting that and saying, I want to create my own small business and be an entrepreneur and, and make my own hours. And so a product like Windy is almost like CRM 2.0, where it's taking the name customer relationship management, taking it back to its core like value proposition that it was supposed to have in the first place. But juggernauts like Salesforce came in in 2000 and decided what that category was. So it's almost like Windy and a couple other tools I've seen in the market are taking that back. Yeah, I love that. It's almost like visualizing, you know, these big incumbents come in or they, you know, they start small and they, or they reach this massive scale and they almost move the market with them in towards yeah. this direction that leaves a good chunk of the old market behind. And there's an opportunity for companies to come back and say, oh, actually, there's this group behind that still is worth quite a bit that isn't being addressed properly by these big guys. And everyone's so focused on this space where the big guys are because that's where they think the opportunity is. We should actually maybe go back and look at that old group and, and find a solution that works better for them. And it, that it kind of, I think, outlines exactly what's happening in the CRM space. Using the example of Salesforce, Salesforce excuse me, I think is a, is a perfect one. Um, one thing that I also found really interesting, your comment around Windy, you know, having a, a freemium version or, or, or a free tier. It's interesting. It's almost like, again, making sure that your product and the monetization model aligns to the market so that you're not necessarily just saying, oh, well, you know what? We price copper this way today. It works. Let's just apply a similar model to this new product. Instead, you asked yourselves the conscious question, will this monetization model work for this market? And it sounds like, no, it wouldn't. And vice versa, this new monetization model wouldn't work for copper. And I think, again, just, just to highlight, I think what a, what a wise choice that is, because you can make the mistake of trying to apply it to both. And then you ultimately have a monetization model that doesn't work for this new market. You just assume that it would because the products are kind of similar or at least kind of play in the same space. But the audiences are so different that you, you have to go down a different path. You definitely have to go down a different path. Um, the closest that we were thinking of in terms of what does a monetization model look like is Notion. And they're currently the darling of, of tech right now. And they have a freemium model. So you're able to have a free Notion account. But as soon as you start to connect with other people or create an organization, that's when the prices start to go up. And it's interesting because we saw that in our ICP where maybe it's one or two individuals who have a business full-time, but then they connect with another consultant on a big project and they want to connect their networks together and figure out who has overlap, who knows the same people, let's work on our list together and have visibility, but then they need to break up again. So suddenly they're no longer part of the same team. But imagine that in the CRM world. Imagine if you're, you could take your CRM with you from company to company, which is what sellers do. Salespeople have relationships with people from company to company, but you can't imagine a CRM being split because you take your network with you. LinkedIn kind of works that way. Your network is your network. It belongs to you, but the CRM never, ever did. So 
Um, it's kind of an interesting idea. I don't necessarily think that all business will be like that, but I think that there are businesses out there who individuals should own their own CRM in a way. For sure, for sure. All right, well, let's let's talk a little bit more about the CRM space because as we said earlier, it is such a uh, you know competitive and dynamic one. And you mentioned, you know, in the build-up to our conversation that despite positioning Windy within the CRM space, for all the reasons you just mentioned earlier, doesn't really tick all of the feature boxes that you would expect to see from a traditional CRM to, to truly fit it within that space. I'm curious as to the thinking behind launching with that approach and how you've been managing that element of bringing a new product to market so far. Yeah, so we've we've made the conscious decision not to use the word CRM. That's kind of part of it. A lot of people will take a look at our site and say, oh, so you're basically saying this is a CRM. But then as soon as you say the word CRM, you get the laundry list. Do they have pipelines? custom fields, permissions, contact limits, like you just, you get into this space where suddenly you have to have the laundry list check off. But we've seen what happens on the other side, which is that those those features don't mean anything to a lot of customers. And it ends up scaring them off because they see a bunch of stuff they don't need and they don't want to pay for it. So ultimately we've tried to avoid connecting ourselves to the CRM industry, which goes against a lot of positioning um, methodology, which is that you must categorize. So for now, we're kind of sitting on the sidelines and seeing more things netted out. We have seen some companies that position themselves as the, the next generation CRM or personal CRM, and they kind of have similar features. So I think there may be a subset in the future where there's a subcategory of CRMs that are not enterprise CRMs. So uh, something like Copper is more like small business, small, medium business, but there's like this very, very small business CRM that we might be part of a future category for, but we don't want to define it now because we think it's going to change. So it's, um, it's been delicate and it's definitely against what I've been taught as a product marketer, but um, I think we're okay for now just to kind of sit and not define ourselves for now and see how it goes. Yeah. I think it's a smart approach based on everything you just said. And I think you know, you're almost doing like any good product marketer is taught. You're letting your customers inform the decision. You're waiting to see how the market reacts to the product, to the positioning and messaging that you're going to market with, and basically making a decision on how you're going to define the category based on that. Because, you know, I, I think to your point, you, you, you know, you sometimes see these new startups in these adjacent spaces pop up and they try and take the, you know, the category leadership position from day one by saying, you know, we are, you know, to use your example, the next generation CRM. But then that assumes that people within that market or customers within the market are looking for the next generation of CRM mm -hmm. or that they read that and think, oh, well, like this is still a CRM. What do you even mean by saying the next generation CRM? So I, I personally think it's a smart choice. I can see why a company would go the opposite path and just say, hey, stake the claim and find success in doing that um, if they're smart about it. But I, I get it. And I, and I think Again, as a product marketer, we're, we're trained to, to listen to customer insights. So I'm curious to keep an eye on Wendy and see how those insights help inform how you ultimately help shape that and define that category. And I mean, the CRM space is obviously a very crowded one, as we've said a number of times already. I would imagine as more competitors pop up within the space that Wendy is currently um, addressing, that they will also help to define the category with you as well. Exactly. And and I think that their position or their 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 viewpoint on this space between spreadsheets and CRM is going to be different based on who they're talking to. So maybe there we have only a small subset of the industry and we'll all kind of figure this out together. But 
I mean, the one thing we have learned is that on one hand of copper in general is we have the larger CRMs like Salesforce and HubSpot that are moving up market. So when HubSpot made sense for the smaller businesses, sometimes it doesn't anymore because they're moving up market, they're getting more sophisticated. And so copper, we've kind of solidified ourselves in the space that we are, which is below a HubSpot, simpler to use, integrates with Google, that's our shtick. But then we also don't want to move too far down at the same time. And that's where Wendy comes in. So we're definitely cementing ourselves at the at the end or the tail end of the market rather than trying to push up like a lot of other CRMs do in their growth path. So it's uh, it's been interesting and it allows us to stay true to ourselves rather than trying to be something that we're just not. Yeah, good call on that one. So I'm curious, you know, given that we just talked about the category not necessarily being fully defined as of yet. Um, and oftentimes when it comes to differentiation, you're leaning into the existing players within that space to you know, say, oh, well, this is the category and this is how we're different because you aren't necessarily leaning into that category de definition as of yet. What other things are you doing to firmly differentiate Wendy from some of the other alternatives out there? Um, curious kind of what that what that looks like today. Yeah. So another alternative is obviously the spreadsheet. And the problem with the spreadsheet is that it doesn't connect to your email. So it doesn't have the history. So that's the part of CRM that usually entices people to want to have some kind of CRM, but then they get caught up in all, everything else that comes in. The other thing that's really interesting that we've seen is project management tools like monday.com and Asana coming in and starting to try and apply CRM features to their offering. And they do it in kind of a neat way, but the problem is that it's just too complicated to build your own CRM using monday.com. So a really scrappy technical person could do it and absolutely create the best CRM that they could possibly make. But somebody who's not as technical, having to integrate their, all their email addresses and route everything, and it's a little bit too manual. Um, so we're, we're kind of keeping an eye on the alternative CRMs where they're saying that you don't need a CRM, but we have something for you. We're trying to pinpoint multiple different ones. Um, but at the same time, a lot of the smaller CRM alternatives that we're talking about have also started to move up market, ironically. So they they start off in the same place that we do, but they fall into the same trap, which is that we can make more money on bigger companies. So we should make more functionality for bigger companies and up they go. So we don't want to fall into that trap because we would be competing against ourselves. And so copper has like the stop gap so that Wendy firmly stays where it needs to be. Yeah. And I guess that's the inherent benefit of having a product like copper already in market that can compete in that space. Whereas it sounds like a lot of the competitors that started where Wendy is currently competing in are feeling the, the burn of, or not the burn, but the pressure of, well, we've got to make more money. We've got to continue to grow. And it feels like the only way to do that is to move up market, but they are, you know, maybe they're just, making the conscious decision to do that and, and kind of forgoing the potential growth within that lower end of the market, not to use, you know, use lower end as a, as a negative term in this context, more just to say, you know, not the enterprise space. Exactly. Um, so, so yeah, it, it does seem like you're carving out quite a unique opportunity for, for Wendy because everyone else is moving and you're staying firmly there, which is, which is exciting. Yeah. Awesome. Well, you know, whenever I listen to other podcasts about launching new products or, or go to market, I always hear, what worked really well and where the successes were. And I think that's great because we always want to, you know, congratulate one another and, and really celebrate our wins. But I, I always like to hear stories about when things didn't necessarily go as planned and not necessarily failures as the extreme, but just when things didn't go as you expected. So I'd love to hear if there was anything about the launch of Windy that you would have liked to maybe have done differently with, you know, hindsight, um, 
you know, no launch is perfect with, with more time and more resources. There's always more that can be done. So what are some of the things that you wish you would have been able to do differently or learnings that you would apply to future launches? Um, I think so far we're kind of in the middle of a launch. So we've done a very, very basic beta where we've invited more customers to come try it out. And in Q2, we're actually going to go to product hunt and launch. So that's kind of the big launch that we're going to be doing. So if you ask me in a few months, I might have completely different answers than what I'm about to share. Um, but one thing that I think I wish we could do differently, which hindsight is 2020, is build faster and break faster. So for the last two years, we've been kind of tinkering a little bit behind the scenes and, and doing a lot of interviews and building a lot of prototypes and saying, does this look like something you would want or want would need? And I, I wish that with more resources, we could have actually built Windy faster, had something really basic in market that we could actually share and then tear it down and build it again whenever we found new um, ways to think about things. And so um, we did not have the capacity internally to be able to do that as fast as a larger company would. Um, so it would have been nice to be able to do that, but I think we did still get to the right place of where we needed to be, which is we have the basic functionality and we know who our ICP is. So I think it all worked out in the end. I wish we just could have been faster, which easier said than done. So is that something you feel like you would do, let's say, you know, down the road, you know, Copper and Windy are a huge success and you as a group want to figure out what the next frontier is and launch the next product, whatever that could be. Do you feel like that's something that you would really push for is to, you know, dedicate the resources early on to build something, see where it works, see where it breaks, and then start from scratch with all those learnings? Um, is that is that fair to say? I think so. I think Copper as an organization will probably have a larger appetite for experimentation um, when Windy is launched and if it's a success. Um, but this was the first time that we were doing something like this. And a lot of companies will say they want to be multi-product, but they'll buy or acquire or build a product internally that is a supplement to an existing platform. Whereas this one was very different because we were thinking about a, a replacement or an alternative to copper. And so there wasn't as much appetite to work really fast to get the money because we just didn't know if this was going to make sense. So that's why it was a little bit more hesitation. But I think that as the experimentation muscle grows within copper, I think we could do this again with an entirely new product and have a little bit more confidence that we know that we're doing what we're doing is the right thing and we should move fast. Yeah, that almost reminds me of the Google approach to launching and developing new products. I think Google's notorious for taking big swings and launching new things. And sadly, oftentimes they don't work out and they, they decide six, 12 months, 18 months later to no longer support the product. But I mean, obviously they've got the size and the scale and the the resources to make that work. But I, to your point, I think it'd be great if more companies were more comfortable taking those risks. Again, that's easy for me to say. I don't own my own company. I don't I don't have yeah, anybody's exactly. jobs or, or uh, on the line. But uh, you know, it seems to have worked for for Google, and it sounds like you know there's some early signs of success for Copper with Windy, um, despite it you know as you said being in the beta phase. So yeah, I think. I'd be curious to keep a close eye on on the team over there, uh, you know, with Copper and Windy, and see what the next kind of big experiment is, and if it is a net new product or uh, a, a big swing with with Windy or Copper, and just see how that plays out. Yeah, for sure. And I think um, one thing I admire about Google for sure is their experimentation, but also the fact that one of my favorite products from Google back in the day was Inbox, which was the the different inbox that they had to Gmail. And although Inbox was sunset and I was devastated, 
they still brought a lot of the featured functionality I loved from it into Gmail. So things like snooze or circle back, those kinds of features that I loved were inspired and brought into the, the bigger product. So I think there are definitely aspects of Windy that could come into Copper one day that we could create some kind of in-between or some kind of connection between the two. Um, so I think that there, the possibilities are endless and it's it's really hard to say where everything will go. But I, I think so far we're on to something and I'm excited to see how everything plays out this year. Yeah, me as well. I'll definitely be keeping a close eye. Um, you know, you and I are connections on LinkedIn, so I'm, I'm sure I'll be kept up to date on all things happening uh, with both Windy and Copper. So I'll definitely be, uh, as I said, keeping a close eye. Amazing. All right. Well, we've made it to my final question. Uh, and it's one I've just recently started asking as part of uh, the latest season here on the show. So I'll ask it to you as well. Uh, what's an area of focus in the realm of product marketing or close to it that you think product marketers will have to pay extra attention to this year, more so than in previous years? That's a great question. And I think this one I learned myself uh, as the senior PMM at Copper, which is growth, product-led growth, and anything to do with lifecycle marketing. So when I came into Copper, one of the main things we were doing is revamping our entire trial experience. So we redid our onboarding. We created a brand new email cadence and intercom pop-ups and product tours and everything you could think of. And we were able to grow our conversion rate. And a big element of that entire process is who are we talking to? What resonates with them? And what's going to get them to take action? And so optimizing down to these nano areas is so important. And it completely changed the way I think about product marketing. It's not just about the philosophy of product marketing or let's talk to prospects about what's going on. It's like, how do you, how do your customers actually experience your product? And are they actually learning how to use the product? Um with something like CRM, it seems like it's pretty self-explanatory to people in tech because we've all used CRMs throughout our career um, and everything is kind of in its place. But to someone who's never used a CRM before, they need to learn what is an opportunity, what's a pipeline. They don't know what these things mean yet, so you have to be very precise. And so it it really brought me back to basics when it comes to product marketing. And I think that if you're not already kind of following the product-led growth space, I, I really encourage people to do so. Yeah, it's funny you mention that because that's actually very topical to conversations that you know myself and the team at Jobber are having about how can product marketing better align and integrate with our existing growth team. That's an area that historically, you know, at our organization, we there hasn't been the strongest connection. Um, yeah, and I think to your point, there's such an opportunity there for product marketing to really lean into some of those product-led growth um, practices, techniques, methods that you know the growth teams at organizations have been doing for years. That's why growth mm -hmm. exists. Um, and again, I think that's just another tool in the tool set of being a strong product marketer that makes you that much more competitive for VP of marketing roles, CMM roles, CEO roles. So mm -hmm. I couldn't agree with you more. I think that's definitely an area that product marketers should keep a very close eye on this year. And, and if not expose them to themselves to some of those tools and those learnings and those best practices as, as best they can. So, so thank you for sharing that. For sure. Awesome. Well, this has been great, Jessica. Like I said, I'm really excited to keep a close eye on Windy. I'll definitely be looking forward to the official launch on Product Hunt and see how that's received and, and how things evolve and change over time. Um, but before I let you go, if anybody wants to reach out to you, maybe ask questions, maybe they're you know finding themselves in a similar situation where they need to launch a new product outside of their company's existing one that addresses a totally different need in a totally different market, um, what would be the best way for them to reach out to you and maybe pick your brain and ask you some questions? Yeah, for sure. So definitely reach out to me on LinkedIn. So you can find me at Jessica Andrews. And um, if you, if anything I've said about Wendy has resonated with you and you feel that you are 
our ICP and you want to check us out and give us a try, uh, you can find us at windy.co. Um, we're currently doing a beta waitlist. So if you sign up for the waitlist, we'll be able to get you in and you can give us your brutal, honest feedback, which is what we're always looking for. So if that makes sense, definitely come over and, uh, and try us out. Awesome. Well, thanks again so much for your time today, Jessica. And like I said, I'll be keeping a close eye on things over the next several months. Good luck with the official launch. Thank you so much. For everyone still tuned in, thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please help us spread the word to other product marketers. Before we leave you to get on with your day, if you want to get involved, here are a few ways you can. If you're a product marketer and you want to come on the show and speak about your day, a specific topic, or your role in general, that's one option. If you want to flex your podcast hosting skills, being a guest host is another. And finally, if you or your company want to spot to an episode, there's a third. Thanks again and have a great morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are.